This is Diana Cordy with Book Talk. My guest is Ladoris Hazard Cordell, an American retired judge of the Superior Court of California, who was also the first black female judge in the northern part of the state. She's the author of Her Honor, My Life on the Bench, What Works, What Doesn't, and How to Change It. She is Zooming with me today from her home in California. LaDoris, welcome to Book Talk. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. What was your biggest day-to-day challenge when you first became a judge? My goodness, I, I write in the book. The book is really a memoir about my 20 years as a trial court judge in California, and it's also part primer about our legal system. Uh, so I put the two together, and I call it a new genre, primoir. Primer memoir. Uh, So in the first chapter, which is called Bitten by the Judge Bug, I write about what it was like to become a judge, to just first go on the bench. And I will tell you that most people think, because in most professions, you have a lot of training. If you're a physician, you're going to do a residency, then you pick a specialty. That's not the same with judging, and that's across the country. And again, I'm talking now about state court judges. And so there really is no training other than the only requirement is that you have to have been a lawyer for today, the rule is at least 10 years. So that means, let's say you were a lawyer and you loved doing contracts. You loved it. And so you did transactional law, which rarely puts you in a courtroom. And then one day you decided, I'm tired of this. I think I want to be a judge. So either you get elected or you get appointed by the governor. And now you're a judge, never having spent hardly any time in a courtroom. And your first assignment is, oh, family court or maybe the mental health calendar where you're deciding who gets out of block psychiatric units or criminal jury trials. That's it. You're just thrown into it and good luck to you. So judging is pretty much learning as you're going, which I think is ridiculous and awful and not good. So to go back when I was appointed, I was 32 years old. I had graduated from Stanford Law School. I practiced law on my own for six and a half years. I was also the assistant dean at Stanford Law School. And when I was appointed, I went on the bench, as I write in the book, untutored and unnerved. And so I was terrified. Quite frankly, the first year or two, I was absolutely terrified. Part of it was, well, what am I supposed to do here? I had been a litigator. I'd been in court. But the other part was being the first. If you're the first African-American female judge in all of Northern California, and you go on a bench that had never had a black woman ever in the the county in which I presided, it's hard. You're in a fishbowl and the pressure is on. And there's two kinds of pressures. One pressure is that There are those who buy into stereotypes about women, about people of color. And the stereotype is you're, you're not going to succeed. You're, you're only there because of maybe affirmative action and they're waiting for you to fail, to mess up. And then there's the pressure from the other side that supports you saying, do not fail because if you fail, there won't be any that look like you for a long time. So we expect you to do well. So there's these pressures all the time. And it's not just to me, it's to anybody who's a first in any kind of of arena in my view. So I was terrified and scared and young and knew that I could not mess up because there was so much riding on me and how I wanted to open the doors for others to come along like me for other women and people of color. So how did you do? 
Oh, well, I think I know I did very well. That's why I've written this book. I wrote very honestly, because if you're going to write a memoir, you're wasting your time if you're not going to be brutally honest. I'm not, I wasn't perfect by any way. And there are decisions that today I question, but that's the nature of judging. And so much is put in the hands of judges. And another reason I wrote this book is because so few people really know about the legal system and what it is judges do. So I hope that this book opens eyes. What was a typical day as a judge? Good question, because the the answer is there's no such thing as a typical day. There is no such thing. And that's only for trial court judges, and that's what I write about, not the appellate judges. Appellate judges don't really interact with the public. They review the work that we trial judges do. That's what they do. So the appellate courts, Supreme Courts, that's what they do. The trial court judges is where all the drama all the excitement dealing with people happens. And I maintain that you cannot be a good trial court judge if you're not a people person. If you don't like people, don't even think about being a trial court judge because all you're dealing with are people usually in crisis. There were cases in which I had to spend a lot of time and think about, and those generally were cases involving criminal defendants where I had to make decisions about sentencing, judicial discretion. And this is, in blind view, the hardest part of judging is we know what the law is. We have have guidelines, we have the law, but there's still discretion. What doing what is right? What's the right thing to do with this person who's done something bad, who's been convicted, and judges are required to look at everything, not just the act, the wrongful act, but who is this person? What gave rise to this conduct? And all of those, as well as what happened to if it's victims involved, what happened to the victim here? And then you have to figure out how do I do the right thing in deciding what to do with this person? And so which brings up the issue of why it's so important to have diverse perspectives on the bench, people from different backgrounds. And so that we you get a sense so that people who come into the courtroom, and let's say they're people of color, and I sentenced a lot of people of color, they come into the courtroom and you want everyone, I don't care who they are, to be able to have trust and faith in the legal system. And one way to do that is to ensure that the people who are in those black robes look like some of the people who are coming into the court, because that builds trust. So I had a lot of homework to do and a lot of hard thinking and sometimes I would call other judges and say, this is what I'm wrestling with. I have this issue. Talk to me. And that kind of input was was really important to me. And some of those judges, one of whom I write in the book, is a federal judge. He's uh, taken senior status. And I would call him because he'd long been my mentor ever since I was in law school at Stanford. Politicians and judges are not the same. And as you noted, it's generally every six years, that's generally the term for, for, for trial court judges, they come up for election. And politicians make promises to their constituents to do things for them. And that's right. That's fine. Judges can make only one promise, and that promise is to uphold the law. And that's the reason why judges should not be treated the same as politicians. We are not and should never be. You said, going forward, look to our state courts more than ever to carry the torch of justice. Why is that? Well, if you look at what the Supreme Court has done, it has issued rules that are the law of the land. And, for example, let's just take the recent decision where they overturned Roe. They didn't find abortion unconstitutional. That's not what the the six did on the Supreme Court. What they said was, There should not be any federal rule governing abortions. That's why Roe is out. And we're going to leave it to the states. 
You all do whatever it is you want to do. And the states have said, sure, that's fine. And more than 20 have said, I think we're going to either ban abortion outright or put so many restrictions on it. The most recent is a Nebraska mom and her 17-year-old daughter who have been charged with felonies because the 17-year-old allegedly now, this is all not proven yet, got an abortion using medication and then did some other things with regard to the fetus. Okay, so here we are. It's left to the states. So when a state legislature decides that we're going to have this and we're going to say abortion is banned, even if the pregnancy is a result of rape or incest, it's all banned. The only alternative is to go to the state courts to say, wait a minute, we need the state courts to weigh in to see whether or not this kind of conduct is constitutional within the states, the state's own constitutions. Is this lawful? And guess what? It'll be trial court judges who will preside over a case like the Nebraska case, which has been filed regarding criminal charges against Nebraska mom and her 17-year-old daughter. The trial court judges, state court judges, of whom there are about 37,000 in this country, are going to be on the front lines in dealing with all of these issues, which is why... I hope people will read her honor and understand what it is these judges do and the background that gives rise to this, the legal issues. Thank you. My guest is LaDoris Hazard Cordell, author of Her Honor, published by Celandon Books. This is Diana Cordy with Book Talk. Thank you so much, Diana.